Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Takecast. I hope that this podcast finds you well. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter, at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I am joined by my buddy, Brian Jester, to uh, break down his million-dollar win in Showdown last year during the Super Bowl, but also just to more broadly talk about DFS strategy and why so many people play these games wrong. You know, we've talked about this before with uh, Blender HD, Jordan Cooper. Of course, we've talked about DFS with Drew Dinkmeyer, Andrew Wiggins. You know, we've talked about DFS a lot on the show, but I thought that, uh, you know, now that we're, we're heading into a new year, I thought it would be a good time to just kind of have a good refresher on some goals, like some goals that you might have for DFS or sports betting or whatever it is, and uh, how you might make that process better, easier, more fluid for yourself. Uh, going forward. So I think this is a great episode. I thought Brian was fantastic. So please make sure to go follow him on Twitter. Of course, if you want bonus episodes of the show, you can subscribe on patreon.com slash TakeCast. You can also support the show by leaving a rating and review on iTunes or subscribing to dailyrodo.com. You can get 10% off of the best projections and DFS tools in the industry using the promo code Janis, J-A-N-I-S. And now let's get into the podcast. All right, everyone, welcoming in Brian Jester to the show. You might know him from Occupy Fantasy or from winning the DraftKings Millionaire Maker or finishing second in the FanDuel Live Final just uh, a few weeks ago. And Brian and I have been talking about doing a show for a while. And uh, I mean, all of you guys, you know me. I'm, I'm not the most organized podcast host, not the most organized uh, scheduler, but very happy to get you on the show. Brian, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Vince, what's up, man? Happy to be on. Yeah, glad we could finally sit down and chat. So, uh, you know, the people, the people always want to know, they, they want the backstory. So how did you, first of all, how did you find fantasy overall? Were you, were you playing season long fantasy football before DFS? 
Yeah, to be honest, it wasn't much of a choice for me. My my, uh, my upbringing, my uh, my father was a a racehorse trainer, so a lot of okay. nights when I was growing up were spent at the racetrack, and uh, sports betting goes hand in hand with uh, horse racing. So from an early age, I was on Sundays instead of rooting for the home team, rooting for the Jets to win by more than seven. If you catch my drift, so right. You know, I I found fantasy at 12 years old, and my family asked me to become commissioner of a friends and family league at 12. And uh, it was pure insanity. That league itself, we paid for free agents with real dollars. Uh, so that was the year. Kurt That's Warner. one of my favorite wrinkles in, in <laughs> fantasy leagues, by the way. Uh, I, one of my very good buddies in fantasy, um, people probably know him uh, on, on DraftKings, Fear My Turtle. He plays in a league like that with his in-laws. So it's like it's very cutthroat, and he wants to win every year. And every transaction is 10 bucks in his league. Yeah, it, it, yeah th- those leagues are fun, but it's an absolute disaster when you have a 12-year-old. Uh, Being the, the commissioner. In pre-internet days trying to collect money and and all that so yeah I've been playing for a long time and uh, just kind of the natural progression you always hear where you know high school and college turned into poker post-college turned into betting on sports full-time and then as I continued to play season long this entire time eventually start reading about DFS on on season long content sites and I did as much research as possible before I started jumping in because I think I heard about it at the beginning of an NFL season. And I said, well, I'm going to read as much as I can and then start next NFL season, truly playing it uh, pretty seriously. So uh, when, when you were playing online poker, were you playing uh, uh, like full tilt poker stars? Was this before black Friday? Yeah. All this was before black Friday. And once black Friday hit, I wasn't trying to spend all that time in, uh, in, in live casinos and poker rooms. So I shut it down and turned my focus to sports betting when that happened. Do you do you still play poker at all, or or is that just are you completely over it? Completely, completely over it. Uh, the fact that you know, because I was a tournament player when I played, and right, the fact that you have to spend hours and hours and hours at a time <laughs> grinding out the ROI, it just wasn't. Yeah, I mean me. that that's so. the thing. Yeah, you're you're grinding out you know six percent if you're if you're very very good. That's right. that's all. Yeah. So I mean that uh, that uh, you know that mostly makes sense. So do you remember? Do you remember going to sign up for DFS? Like, do you remember to go and signing up for the site? Like, who who has your rake back right now? That's a great question. I don't I don't even know who has it. Um, I know, and I really wish that it was not the answer. But I mean, not that I <laughs> not that I don't like these guys or anything. But I wish I would have set it up to sign up through one of my buddies. But I signed up right. through Roto Grinders at uh, least for at least for DraftKings. I think FanDuel. It was through something else, but yeah, for for DraftKings, they well, except they changed the way they did rakeback. Right, is for a long time the the those sites were just printing off of rakeback, and then they changed the deals. Right. Yeah. I, they they did change it, and I'm not sure who has mine, but uh, yeah, like you said, I wish I would have given it to a buddy of mine because they'd have been pretty happy now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, so in in college um, was when I first started playing on FanDuel and DraftKings, and I got all my buddies to sign up and two of my buddies ended up being pretty successful on FanDuel for a while. And I was literally paying rent off of my FanDuel affiliate money in like my junior year of college. Wow. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's interesting. I'm hoping to kind of get into that with, and this is a, an entirely different conversation, but with all these sports books popping up and the legality of sports books popping up, I think affiliate uh, sports books will be a way people pay for their rent here in the near future. 
Yeah, I mean, sport, and we can we can talk about sports betting a little bit at the end of the podcast because I do think that is all that stuff is. You know, everyone in our industry realizes that the money is actually really in sports betting. But I do I want to talk about you know, dude, you you won you won a million dollars. You you binked the millionaire maker in the Super Bowl showdown between the Patriots and the Rams. All right, what was what was the team? Uh, yeah, so that lineup that won the million was uh, so it was the Rams and Patriots Super Bowl had Julian Edelman as the captain. Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods, Sonny Michelle, Rob Gronkowski, and the Patriots D. So it was a zero quarterback lineup that took it down. Zero quarterback lineup. I I so the, I very rarely would build teams that way. That's like uh, so so when you're constructing teams for um you know for for showdown you know how are you doing it are you are you banking a ton of rules are you limiting the maximum amount of salary like what's the what's the showdown lineup process. Yeah, so this is – we can get pretty in-depth on this. So for Let's me personally, yeah, my number one goal for Showdown GPPs is to have as many unique lineups as possible. Solos. Yeah, yeah. I, have, I have no interest in tying for first place. It reduces the ROI. So for this particular GPP, the Super Bowl, um, I did 150 max it. And at the time, I had rarely 150 maxed anything. Uh, but I thought this mm-hmm. was a pretty good opportunity based on the number of casual players that were going to be playing, the number of satellite tickets I thought I could collect for it. So, uh, and I had some previous success in Showdown too, so I thought this was a perfect storm uh, to 150 max it. And of those 150, 62 of my lineups were unique. And I think, wow. two, yeah, so 288 people, 150 maxed that particular GPP, the big DraftKings Showdown. And only seven other users had a higher unique percentage than me obviously I'd like to have the number one unique percentage. And that's really my goal. Every time I play a showdown GPP, I'll go back and look to see how many of my lineups were unique. Yeah. So when you're, when you are trying to be unique. Um, so I, I think the number one thing this, and this is something that I do in my showdown play is I make the maximum amount of salary that I use 49,700 on DraftKings. So, you know, their salary cap is 50,000 for everything. And right away, if you just shave off that $300 of salary cap, you pretty much are, you're a limit, like, 20% of the pool is going to use all of the salary cap. Maybe, maybe even more. You would actually probably know better than I would, but like what, what percentage of the pool do you think uses all of the available salary cap in every lineup? Yeah, it ends up being more than 20%. And it depends right. on, uh, it, it depends on the player pool too, because you have some, some showdown slates where injury news breaks after the, the salaries, are after released. the salaries. And so you'll end up with optimal lineups where you have a much cheaper guy that will force you not to spend the entire salary cap. So, you know, if, if we look at the solo showdown wins, uh, since the beginning of 2018, that's really all the data we have for this, this, this showdown, uh, format. So there've been 29 unique showdown winners, uh, in the big DraftKings GPPs. Uh, since the beginning of 20 how, how many of those were Colin Drew like five yeah I think so <laughs> probably I, uh, <laughs> yeah he uh, he's had some pretty good success for sure but of those 29 23 were in games that the game went under the total so you know there's a lot to take from that um, and if you look at the unique showdown winners uh, their average salary was 47.5 compared to the the GPPs where people have tied for first, the average salary was like forty nine five. So I, I play for chaos in these 
in these single game GPPs, whether it's the game going way under the total, like the Super Bowl GPP did, yeah. uh, or um, having zero quarterbacks or having injuries and not to say I'm, I'm playing for players to get injured, but if, if a player gets injured, that can obviously but like chaos. max, max one, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams. That way, if, if Aaron Jones gets banged up, you have all these Jamal Williams lineups clean or stuff like that. Right. Right. Exactly. And so I haven't banked a showdown this year, but I've gotten close and I've had two top tens in the, the DraftKings big GPP and both those lineups were unique and they were in uh, quote unquote chaotic games because the first one was, that early season Atlanta Philly matchup where both Deshaun Jackson and, and uh, Alshon Jeffrey got hurt nearly immediately. And I had a ton of Nelson Aguilar. So that helped. And then the second was that Kansas city Denver matchup where Mahomes got hurt early. So uh, that's my personal strategy. I know a lot of, uh, a lot of different strategies are out there where people try to, whether it's hundred percent optimal captain, or uh, I think uh, Colin drew does a lot of correlations. So there's different ways to win for me personally. I'm, I'm focusing on salary and uh and trying to to win when matchups don't go as they planned so i i i I love to talk about showdown but i don't ever want to give anyone the opinion that i am some genius or that i'm (laughs) like that i'm winning all these um i i like you i mean i've been close uh two weeks ago i was fading one javon wims catch for to win to win the the one dollar on DraftKings and I you know of course he got he got the one catch on the last drive of the game and that's I and I actually had I actually had a solo lineup that was winning it with it was Blake Bell versus Javon Wims in that Chiefs Bears oh, game um by so, the way, Trubisky exclusively targeted Wims on that final drive so yeah I mean it was dude it was like it, it like you just it it was one of those things where like they come out and you're like oh actually I'm not even live for this like they're just they're just gonna give Javon Wims three catches on this right. drive <laughs> So one of the things that I do though, and I, this is it from being, trying to uh, interpret what Colin Drew does. And if you guys don't know, um, if you're listening to this and you've never, you've never heard of Colin Drew, which seems unlikely, but you guys can find him on Twitter at Drew B 417. I work with him at daily Roto. Uh, He's like the king of showdown. He's, he's like one, like 15. And I think soloed like seven of them. And what he does is he just really forces correlations. So like, um, Every quarterback he's going to play, it's going to be like with at least one of his pass catchers. Or, you know, if Devontae Adams is in the captain, he's for sure going to have Aaron Rodgers with that team. And it sounds like that's not what you do. It sounds like you actually are trying to induce more randomness than anything else. Right, exactly. Because if if I played correlations for the Super Bowl lineup, uh, I wouldn't have taken it down because I had Edelman as captain. And by correlation rules, I would have automatically had Brady um, as a flex player in that lineup. My strategy more so is, like I said, first of all, focusing on on captains and, and the optimal salary usage. But then for each individual player, especially if you're if you're making more than one lineup, if you're making more than one lineup, if you're making just one lineup, this doesn't make a ton of sense. But if you're making, you know, multiple lineups, I, I focus on my exposures over or under each individual player. So, for instance, if I liked Edelman a ton in, in, the, in the Super Bowl, I would have set my exposures to him more than what I thought the field would have. Or if I didn't like Tom Brady, I would have, you know, 30% compared to the field, 70%. So um, I, I really don't focus on each individual lineup. I just focus on each individual player and then let the combinations play out how they fall may. as they may. Yeah. So you're not, you're not setting that many rules really then probably. Just, just salary rules and uh, salary rules based on the captain, because you know, you can use more salary if you have 
a, a less popular captain. If you're using a guy that only 2% of people have as captain, you can certainly spend more salary because you're not going to have the opportunity to tie with as many people. But if you're using Patrick Mahomes on a showdown GPP where he's 30% captain, you're going to have to leave a lot more salary to even come close to having a chance at a unique lineup. Right. Yeah. I mean, that all, you know, so that all makes sense. So, uh, you know, let's if we're, if we're thinking about getting in the weeds, how much are you, are you just fading the popular captains outright? Like, are you just, are you looking at, you know, like, Ty, like Tyreek Hill in Chiefs game? He definitely is like, he's a guy who is always over-owned in the captain relative to his projection. So like, is that someone that you're just like, you know what, I'm not playing Tyreek Hill? Yeah, it'll depend on the game too. Sometimes if there's a guy who I project 20% captain, I'm okay with going 50, 60, 100% captain if I truly think he's the best play. Right. But, um, you know, quarterbacks almost always go over-owned as a captain. And oh, the- I mean, every every slate. Like even, they, it has to be like a Nick Mullins, Trevor Simeon type situation yeah. for them to get under 10% in the captain. Right. A lot of times you'll see uh, big underdog quarterbacks end up under 10% and uh, I'll have 10 or 15% of those guys and it rarely ever works out. But uh, yeah, the, even though showdowns have gotten a lot sharper since last year, uh, you'll see, I mean, last year quarterbacks were the, the number one captain pretty much every showdown slate as far as ownership goes. This year, that's not the case as much, but they're still owned more than they should be. Yeah, for sure. So uh Big question after after the big hit, how much higher in stakes have you been playing? You know, I, I know I have, you know, I've known some people who they win the million dollars and they're like, okay, I'm just going to jam in as much action as I can. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to try and get after it. Some people are content to cash out, buy a house, you know, invest, you know, whatever. So you, you, you bink, you bink the solo Millie. What is, what is like the next month? Like, uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy the next month, just logistically, uh, getting the yeah. million dollars in and all that but uh yeah I, I mean i don't have any interest at all in cash games i don't play any cash games whatsoever so uh i was never going to be sitting in the highest nosebleed head-to-heads or three mans that just wasn't for me um you know i'm not interested in grinding out three four five six percent roi and, and probably negative roi if i'm playing against some of those top guys and head-to-heads so um but you know there are many reasons why people lose in DFS. And I think the biggest, especially for casual players is bankroll management and contest selection. It's so key. And that's no different for me, a guy who just, who just won a million dollars. So what I did, I, I added a hundred thousand of it to my bankroll. I saved the rest. And then uh, the rest of the year, I just played one to 5% allocation on each slate and aimed for the biggest ROI contest. So I wasn't playing, you know, big double ups or, or smaller GPPs, I was still 150 max and just now the, the contest with uh, the highest prize pools. Everyone, everyone listening to this who plays high stakes double ups is just so tilted hearing that they're just, they're just, they're just like, Oh man, what, why, why would you not, why would you not reg? Why would you not reg for, for 10 K head to heads after banking a million? Like there is, there's definitely always these people that you see at uh, you know, like, there, there will be people that when they're up there in the million, like, oh, you're rooting for them to win because you know oh, they're yeah. going to distribute that money throughout the ecosystem. And uh, it sounds like you're not one of those people. Yeah, you, you definitely hear those stories, those, uh, those, those horror stories of people jumping immediately into 10K head-to-heads. And I mean, I mean, I've, I've seen it. I, I've seen oh, it yeah. up, up and close of the people who – I mean, and one of my, my buddies who, who won the DraftKings Fantasy Basketball Championship in – 2015 it, it took him like a 100k downswing to realize that he didn't want to be playing uh you know 10k head-to-heads after he won the million dollars 
It's tough, man. I mean, as confident as I am in, in my DFS process, I know my strengths and weaknesses. Like I'm, I know right. I probably can't beat some of those top guys ahead. head I'm my, the way my brain works and the way, you know, all the research I've done is much more geared towards, you know, GPPs and, and high risk contests. So I, I, I know that I had no shot if I jumped in with those guys, it made no sense. Yeah. Um, all right. So have you, what, uh, what other DFS sports do you play other than NFL or do you mostly just stick to NFL? No, I play year round. NFL is my primary sport, uh, but I do play a ton of MLB. I play a ton of NHL. Um, I play some PGA if I feel like donating, but uh, I, I suck at NBA. I, I rarely play it, and it just don't you know that don't you know that no one loses? At, that's what I that's what I've heard. Yeah, no that's one what, loses. Yeah, that's what I've heard. But uh, for me, that hasn't been the case. So I don't know where. I would love to know how to win an NBA if, if people out there know because uh, it's super tough. But like I said, the, the way my, my brain works is high risk. And, you know, NBA, it's hard to fade, you know, 60% on guys because it, they, it's, it's not event-based scoring like MLB yeah. and NHL and the correlation isn't there. I love the correlations and I love the fact that, you know, a one goal or one home run can swing lineups where that isn't the case in the NBA. I mean, yeah, you can't like that's the that is the hardest thing that people have is that you you can't fade the locks in NBA basically, right. and like that's just it's very it's very hard for people to uh, to understand that. I mean, if you want to, if you are actually serious about wanting to play NBA though, dude, we gotta we gotta get you a daily roto sub. That's that's <laughs> I mean that's not even not even to shill really, but like just having those projections, it, it's actually so funny. Because just having access to those projections gives you such a good idea of where the field is going to be on guys. Like, it, 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 there's nothing like it in any other sport. But, like, if you, if you go look at, like, the Thunderdome or, like, the, the big, huge games, the ownership is so clearly reflected in the Daily Rota projections that, like, just if you had access to that, you'd know where to get weird relative to the field, basically. Yeah, we'll talk about this more later, but like having projections and projected ownerships specifically is is so huge in especially NBA, but all, all these sports too, just knowing what the field is going to do. Um, I mean, that, that's one of the number one things when it comes to, to building lineups. Yeah. So uh, why don't you why don't you talk a little bit about hockey? Because I think that is the sport that has like the lowest R squared relative to projections of any sport. Like that is the like if you're looking to embrace variance, look no further than NHL DFS. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> I love hockey. The, the prize pools aren't as big, unfortunately. I wish they were. But um, correlation is so huge. It's the biggest correlation sport there is. And if you like MLB, you, you would love NHL because you know, you figure you have, you, you know, who's going to going to be on the ice together and like 90% of goals have an assist. And most of those have a second assist. So, you know, when, when one goal happens and you have three or four guys stacked up on, in the same lineup, you know, one goal just shoots you up the leaderboards. And especially in spots where, you know, the ownership and the fields aren't. So, it's an incredible sport and basically what I do, I just max correlate, just get as many correlations as possible, stack four guys from one team, four from the other, or if I can't do that, you know, four, three, one, whatever it may be, but getting those stacks in there and just jamming those in. Wow. So you go, you go four man stacks. Yeah. It's same, same for MLB as me. Like I, I maximum. Well, uh, I do, I do five two one in MLB. That's like my, that's my um, stack strategy. Yeah, I mean, that, that's good. The biggest thing is getting that five-man. And in NHL, getting the four-man because um, especially if you, can, if you can correlate power plays as well, guys that play on the same power play as well as the same even strength line, 
you know, the, the upside is just massive. And there are some teams that have higher correlation percentages. And for me, looking at the betting markets too, people look at, especially NHL, they'll, they'll just go with the highest projected team total teams. But if you look at team total moves and betting moves uh, in, in the betting markets throughout the day, you can get a good sense of teams that are in better spots than what the public indicates too. Yeah. And I mean, also, isn't it like, it, it's also true in NHL, like very much unlike um, MLB, like the team totals are like just the same thing. Like, yeah. like, it'll, like team totals will be like 3.3 goals versus 3.2 goals, but the 3.3 goals team might be owned at like, um, like a, like a three X higher clip basically. Yeah. It's insanity. Like you'll have a team that, uh, where all the goal scoring is spread out and they'll be projected for, you know, four goals and they'll still have a ton of ownership where you have a team that's projected for just three goals, but all their scoring is concentrated on one line and their ownership's way lower and it doesn't make a ton of sense. And that's where you can get a lot of leverage. Yeah. So that, uh, there you go. There is uh, just a little bit more, um, game theory. So, uh, talking a little bit more about game theory, you know, basically you've been able to sustain this success after winning the million dollars. Um, and, and everyone has different opinions on this question that I'm about to ask you. What, if you could just point out the number one thing that people are doing wrong when they're approaching lineup building for tournaments, what do you think that is? This is going to sound crazy, but you know, with so much content out there, most DFS players can, can, can pick good player pools and they can pick good yes. players. So I think the number one mistake is that people focus too much on which players to pick. I know the game is figuring out which players are going to score points, but honestly, I think people spend so much time on that where they should be spending time on actual lineup construction. And a lot of my research I've done and we've done at Occupy Fantasy is figuring out optimal lineup constructions uh, and, and all the back testing has gone there based on baselines, right? So not the, 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 the typical 20% of millionaire winners have had a running back 7,000 or more. Like that, that shit doesn't matter. It's more so, you know, how many, you know, of the entire field over this amount of time has done X, but winners have done Y. And so looking at stacks correlations, which positions to spend up on, which positions to fade ownership, all, all based on baselines. I think lineup construction. And then of course, as we talked about earlier, contest selection and bankroll management, those are way, way, way more important than just saying, I need to figure out which players to play. So where do you stand on correlation in NFL? How much are you, how much are you, are you jamming double stacks with one or two bringbacks in, you know, all of your teams or are you, cause this has been, this has been a big thing that nerds on the internet have been arguing about over the last week or actually really two weeks. It's been, it's been quite the ordeal. Uh, I, I am actually, I, I would never tweet this, but I actually am with the nerds. I think that, I think that you really should be, I, I mean, every, pretty much every lineup I make in on DraftKings for tournaments is a double stack unless it's a, a running quarterback. So I, I, that is the side that I am on. Yeah, people still don't stack enough. Uh, I'm with the nerds too. and They, they really don't. Like, it's don't. like something like 5% of the field on like a big week will, will be double stacks. Yeah, and it, even more so than that. So, you know, it, it scales with the type of contest you're playing. So if you're playing, say, a 100-player league on FanDuel, you don't need to stack as much as you would if you were playing Sunday Million. So uh, people don't get that as well. And I just want to make sure, you know, some of our – our, our viewers will say, well, you know, I had five guys from the same game. I was like, well, what did you play? It was a hundred player league. Well, you don't need that much correlation in, in, in that small of a contest. But for me personally, I'm a sucker for correlation. I will go as much correlation as possible. And 
you know, a lot of my lineups will have four or five guys from the same game. I mean, I still, I still double stack one bring back in every single entry contest I play. So the, the ones that I play on DraftKings are the $12, the $27 and the $50. Yeah. And then I, I'll just rant, like I just randomly input my MME lineups for the lower stakes ones. But like in, in all of those, I will still do, as long as the quarterback is not Lamar or Kyler, cause they're running quarterbacks, sure. I will still double stack men, like at least one player from the other team in, in all of them. Cause I, I, that is to me, I think that like, and you know what? I I, I got to give credit. The Osimo said this, and it's actually the easiest way to explain it to someone, which is that your chances of picking the perfect lineup are infinitesimal, right? Like the odds of that are so low, you would never be able to do that. But basically, every correlation piece you add onto it brings you closer to picking the perfect lineup without actually having to be perfect in your decision making. That's an incredible way to explain it. It's it's you know, it, your, your margin of error is so much lower when you're trying to pick each individual position, each individual player without any correlation. So, you know, honestly, if you played DFS, if you had just any random projection system and you knew projected ownership, as long as it was somewhat decent, if you just optimally stacked games in NFL, if you optimally stacked lines in, in NHL, MLB stacked lineups, you'd be much more successful doing that than individually trying to pick players with the best projection system. Yeah. So like, for, like, for example, in NFL, this or in MLB this last year, I actually, I, I don't like baseball. I don't really watch baseball. Um, like, and I had of all the sports, NFL, MLB, NBA in 2019, my ROI was the highest in MLB because nice. all I did every single slate, was I loaded up the daily rotor projections. I, I used our shuffle and our volatility feature at like the maximum amounts. And I just used um, five, five man stacks, two man stacks, and then one, and then one, one off. And that was how that all my winning lineups were that formula. And it, but it's because you, you think that five man stacks are popular, but even knowing no. all that we know about correlation, people still do not use them. No, they just, they don't use them enough. And if, just that that's the key takeaway here is stack as much as you can like it's in high risk contests that's what you need to do to win that's you, it gives yourself the best chance of winning and yeah you're right mlb is one of the best because you can stack up to five so just just maximize that correlation you'll be much better off than uh than trying to individually pick each player yeah okay so this is the the number one question in dfs how do you brian how do you attempt to account for the combination of projected ownership and projected points for an individual player. Because this, if you had the right answer to this question, um, you, I, I mean, you'd just be, you would just be set up to print, right? Because this is the number one question. You know, at, at what point does player A projected for you know, 6X's salary, at what ownership do you start thinking about fading overall? I wish I had a simple answer and just give you guys the keys to the safe, but it depends on the sport, depends on the yeah. position. Uh, but for me, it's not necessarily an individual player. It's more of a function of the total ownership of your lineup. Like a lot of people get caught up in fading a guy if he gets too popular, but you can still play him. So for instance, in NFL, if a, if a running back, a high volume running back is going to be very popular, like you're much better to play him at high ownership than you would a high owned receiver because it's such a volatile position. Uh, same in MLB, like a starting pitcher, 
much less volatile, very projectable, fine to play a high-owned starting pitcher. Um, even high-owned high bats are fine. And I think ways you can make up for high-owned players, even in volatile positions, is using that correlation we just talked about. Because even though that player is high, because people aren't stacking, that exact lineup's not going to be as popular because of the way you built it. So, like, um, as far as baseball goes, that's actually uh, – there. there's this very interesting scenario that comes up with Coors Field. And what it, what it will be is you will be able to get the non uh, Nolan Arenado, Charlie Blackman, Trevor Story parts of that lineup. At, at, like, the actual five-man combinations of those are, are actually quite low. Yeah. Those three guys are all going to be very owned, but I mean, I literally right now, I don't even think I could name another one of those random guys that they have, but it, every year they they'll always have random guys or, or, um, the, if they ever have anyone cheap in their lineup, they'll end up be being like super owned, but like huh. the, um, like, you know, they'll just randomly have, uh, like Tony Walters, their catcher, who's at like 3,800 on DraftKings. That guy will be like 5% owned. And then if you're also stacking him with the other Rockies, like you're, you're locked into unique lineup constructions. Right. Yeah. That, that's the biggest thing. And, you know, uh, for me, my personal lineups, I just look to have X amount of ownership combined. And um, I even found myself falling into this trap earlier this NFL season where I was so focused on you know, fading high owned wide receivers because they're volatile positions. And when you combine that with the amount I'm stacking, my lineups ended up being too low owned, right? Like in NFL, we have an entire week for people to find the best place and ownership's going right. to normally going to reflect that. So if you're fading too much of that ownership, I think you're putting yourself behind You're just only playing bad plays. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I found myself doing that a little bit early and then I, I tweaked my strategy as the, as the season went on, but um, your, your lineup should have a min and max ownership. So you're not too unique, but also you're not too chalky as well. Yeah. I mean, so we have at daily Roto, we have the, you know, max ownership tool with, the, with the projected ownership that we have built into the optimizer. And I, I've found that to be pretty helpful, but also, you know, because of what we're talking about where, you know, all of my lineups that I'm building in that tool are going to be so unique in terms of the correlation. I actually, in NFL, I don't particularly worry about fading the chalk all that much. Now, if it's, if it's like, um, for example, this Titans run, right, where the, the Titans keep putting up 30 points a game, but they're only completing like 18 passes. I'm not, I'm not playing those guys, not because they're chalk, but just because I don't think they're good plays. Like, I just like, I just think that those guys are being over projected. So like I've, I've faded a couple of those chalk spots just cause I think that, you know, I just think it's bad. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I totally get that. And, um, it's even more tilting when someone wins the, uh, the FanDuel live final with a Titan stack. After, uh, just, uh, I mean, can you even imagine playing the Titans in that spot? How horrible. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bash the dude. He's 500 K richer. So, but, uh, yeah, it's it's it really is a function of, of total total lineup ownership. So I, th- I think people do get caught up. Do I fade this guy? Do I play this guy? It's really just, I mean, look at the rest of your lineup. If you're stacking properly in most sports, ownership generally doesn't come into play. Yeah, it's like, so I, I think another great example of this is um, the, what to do with like the, the backup running back fill-ins. Yeah. But what we've actually seen, I mean, this year is a very bad example because pretty much every backup running back has come in and busted. Right. Um, other than I think J- Jalen Samuels was really good and Wayne Gallman was really good the weeks that they came in. Yep. But in general, historically, those have been awful fades. Like those, like yes. fading, fading the, the fill-in running back for one week has been 
just just an like a catastrophic decision. And I actually think next year there's going to be some edge in really jamming those plays in because of how poorly the results of the, with them were this year. No, you're totally right. There's always recency bias, especially dating back to the previous year when it comes to that. But uh, another way I think people can improve their game, and it's a lot what what I do, because I, like I said, I wasn't 150 maxing much before this year. So mm-hmm. I looked at, all right, who are the best 150 maxers? These top pros, you know, you look at Osimo, Chipotle Attic, those guys, right? What are they doing when they're 150 maxing? So I, I went back and looked at, okay, when we have a backup running back situation like Jalen Samuels, what are some of these these top, top pros doing? And what they do, 90 to Jam. 100%. Yeah. They, yeah, they pretty much lock button those guys in their 150 lineups. I said, well, shit, if they're doing it, it's probably the best thing to do. So, and, and that could be the same way for NBA when there's an ultimate value. What are these guys doing? Well, they're lock buttoning those guys. So looking at how the pros construct their lineups, especially if you're new to 150 maxing or even if you're looking to improve your game, is a great way. I mean, these dudes make tons of money. So why not look at what they've doing? And, and a lot of, uh, there are a lot of tools out there that will let you look at uh, you know, line of constructions for, for previous contests. And I mean, if you think about it, it makes complete sense why you would do that. Because when those guys do hit their projection, they are so likely to be in the winning lineup. Whereas like, like random, random 7K running back when they meet their projection, that is no guarantee that they're no. going to be in the winning line. Like Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette hits 21 DraftKings points. No guarantee that he is going to be in the winning lineup. But when Wayne Gallman hits 19 DraftKings points at 4,300, like he just, like it's like it would take a crazy, crazy slate for him to get pushed out of the optimal lineup. Right, exactly. It, it would take an insane slate. And, and also, even if the guy bust or doesn't do that well you can still win like there are lineups on DraftKings this year where there were 3k running backs and not even that they were good plays but they were 3k running backs and they scored seven points and as long as it's a lower scoring slate you can still win so the the downside isn't isn't too much when you're jamming in those high owned high owned almost yeah someone someone won the millie maker this year i don't remember the week that it was i think it was i think maybe like week seven or eight and they had james white in their lineup who got like 12 DraftKings points and the and basically it wasn't that you know james white did no contribution to the lineup but it was just that that lineup needed a 5k running back right. so any fight like a like a 5k running back could have scored four points and this guy still would have won because it allowed him to get onto the right roster construction Right. And again, it goes back to that point of focusing on one individual player when it's more so about the entire lineup, the collection of the entire lineup. Right. Um, okay. So, so let's, let's, uh, let's end here. If you're, you're, you're meeting with someone, someone subscribes to your website and, and they're just like, you know what, I've, I've just been, I spent 2019 punting money away in DFS. How do I, how do I change things? Where do I go to start winning? What do I, what do I need to start doing immediately to, to get in the right mind state to be and starting to get my money in good? What are you, what are you suggesting to this person? All right. Step one, download your results, upload it to whichever bankroll tracker, you know, ROI tracker that you can find, find which contest you were good and bad at. There may be, maybe the case where you're bad in every contest. If that's the case, you should probably quit. But two, start picking your contest better. Like, especially in NFL, we have the entire week from Monday all the way up until lock on Sunday, try to find head to heads against players with no experience badges. Try to find double ups where the, the field looks pretty soft. Start playing more single entry people don't take advantage often enough of 100 player contests on both sites, 100 player leagues on FanDuel, 
118 player they're called contest quote unquote contest on DraftKings where they have the best ROI for your your return for your for your investment. Start those. Then make sure you're using the proper amount of your bankroll. I know you I say 2% of my bankroll. People are like I don't want to play $3 on a slate, but if not, you're playing more than that. If you have a rough stretch, you're going to lose and you're going to have to deposit again. So figure out the right contest to play. Use your money properly and then start worrying about your lineups. The, all that goes so overlooked in this industry that that's why we see 80 to 90% of people lose money in any given year. Oh yeah. I mean, and the games, the games are very tough. I think that uh, probably the, probably like the, the worst thing that people do is they, uh, they 150 max and they are not prepared to, um, like they're not prepared to eat, you know, losing three straight 150 maxes. So they make suboptimal decisions just to not get swept in those 150 max. You know what I'm saying? Like they, like, like they're, they're, they're trying to hedge. They're trying to like, Oh, I can't fade this play. Cause I don't want to get completely wiped out. And like, that just doesn't allow you to play game theory optimal. Dude, if I only lost three straight 150 max slates, I'd be ecstatic. Like <laughs> especially MLB and like these high variance sports, you know, in July, I had 27 straight losing slates. Like, yeah. most people aren't going to be able to deal with that. It's, and your bankroll is definitely not going to be able to deal with that unless you're using it properly. And, you know, when you're playing with your, when you're 150 max and you're playing for those, those spike weeks, and it may take a lot of losing slates in between to hit those spike weeks. So uh, if, you're, if you're not managing properly, and like you said, a lot of people try to hedge and try to get some money back, and that's definitely not the right way to play. What really cracks me up are the people on Twitter whenever you post a screenshot and they're like, if I had – 150 lineups i could do it too it's like all right i'll give you seven seven dollars and fifty cents you can go max the pooch punt on FanDuel. let me know how well you do it's uh so i've had i had success 150 maxing in mlb but my results in nfl have been bad and i haven't won <laughs> I, I i won last year in the nba playoffs but i've not won anything this year in regular season nba so like it is like yeah and, and i have access to the best tools, the best projections. I can ask questions to people who have won millions of dollars playing DFS. And like, even that does not guarantee me being a winning player at this stuff. So, or, or at least a, a winning player to the point where like I could deposit 50 K and be like, okay, I can turn this into a million. Right. Which is like, that's like the dream. And, oh, yeah. and, and yeah, it's, it's just, it is so much harder than people think like D DFS is very hard. Like that, that just, I guess that to me, that really is the, the way to sum it up is like winning a DFS consistently is not easy. No, it's not, it's not easy at all. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot of, it takes the mental capacity, I think is, is one of the biggest things too. People say, I'd love to be a DFS pro. It's like, yo, if, if you look at some of the volume, these top, top, top guys are playing, like, can you realistically be okay with losing $500,000 in a day? most 99.9% of people can't 99% of people can't fathom losing 27 days in a row. Like, like I did at one point this year, like the, the mental capacity is so tough. And even, um, even someone like me who has that mindset, it can still get difficult at times. Yeah. I mean, so we did, we did an episode of this show. Uh, it's actually the most popular episode ever of this show where Drew Dinkmeyer and Andrew Wiggins came on and both of them talked about like at various points, like wanting to quit, like just wanting to not play DFS anymore because it just like, they were just getting that, you know, losing and the games were too, like the, like the high stakes cash games are just so tough. 
And, you know, the, we're talking about like, you know, Wiggins is one of the most successful cash game players ever. Dink, like Drew has won the Millionaire Maker and has had all this success. And like, even those guys who are that good have a hard time, like mentally sustaining how difficult DFS can be. It's tough. It, it really, really is tough. And, you know, I'm not going to fill my head, you know, even despite all the success I've had this year, I know I've been running hot. And I'm not going to go start increasing my volume 10 times in, in 2020. Like it's, you got to keep a, a good head on your shoulders too and be realistic about, about what to expect. Have you ever played um, the Thunderdome or the heavy hitter or any of those insane contests? No, I, I have no desire to. I um, Like I said, I, I'm, I'm very content with my 300% ROI <laughs> playing smaller contests and, and shooting for the big prizes. So um, I, I'm not interested in risking that much money in a single contest. Dude, if I won a million dollars, like I would be, I would be the guy up top in the million dollar contest that all the high stakes pros are like, please let this kid win. Please let this guy win because he is going to have 10 K's posted tomorrow. He's going to be like, and, and, and I know that it would be horrible, but I would in no way would I be able to stop myself from entering these contests. Like I would be, I would be the number one uh, fish out of water. If I won a bunch of money, like, like I just, I, you know, just get, get me in, get me in the 25 K's, uh, the heavy hitter. And I'd be right there. Yeah. Let's, let's win you a milli so we can see that happen. Let's do it. All right. Uh, Brian, man, this was, uh, this was awesome. I think people are going to love the show. Tell people about Occupy Fantasy and where they can find you. Yeah, sure. So Occupy Fantasy is a, a website that I created. I found it and then I write for and run now. And it focuses on a lot of areas I touched on today, bankroll management, contest selection, bigger picture strategy, uh, for becoming a, a profitable DFS player, especially for those in, in lower bankroll tiers, if you have 50, 100, 200 bucks in your bankroll, you know, our memberships are priced so people can afford them and still win uh, and still be profitable even by paying the membership. So OccupyFantasy.com is where you can check that out at OccupyFantasy on Twitter. And if you want to follow me at Brian Jester FF on Twitter, uh, happy to have you. All right, man. Hey, thank you so much for coming on. That was great. Hey, thanks, Davis. I appreciate it. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.